pain there. So pray for him. They're giving therapy. Just pray that it'll work out well for him. If you have your Bibles tonight, I hope that you do. Turn to Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. And then once you find that, turn to Matthew chapter 1, verse 22. I'll give you a moment to get there. Our topic tonight and probably next week is overcoming loneliness. Overcoming loneliness. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Then Matthew chapter 1, verse 22 and 23. Have you found Isaiah yet? You'll recognize both passages when we get there. But in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, God says, Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and thou shalt call his name Emmanuel. The Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1, verse 22 and 23. Now all of this was done, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord, of the Lord, by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son. And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. What an amazing thought. After all these years, I still haven't gotten over that. God with us. Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14 starts with the word therefore. Anytime you study God's word, you see that word therefore. You need to know why it's therefore. God had just promised Ahaz victory over the enemy. And God in so many words told Ahaz, they have said this, this, they're going to do this, they're going to do that. And God says it shall not stand. It's just not going to stand. And how many know if God says so, it's so. It is so. It will not stand. So Isaiah said, God says to Ahaz, ask for a sign. And Ahaz refused to. Now he implied he didn't want to tempt God. But evidently there's more to the story than that because God wasn't pleased. And God says, Ahaz, since you refuse to ask for a sign, I'm going to give you one. And I want to say it's the greatest sign we've ever heard. A virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. I think you'll agree the greatest truth of all, God with me. God is with us. The Westminster Shorter Catechism asks the question, What is the chief end of man? What is our purpose? What is our loftiest goal in life? And they answer that question. Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy, and to enjoy Him forever. 
Now, I got to tell you tonight, folks. I didn't know what living was until I got saved. Amen. I didn't know what it was to enjoy life. I thought I was. But I didn't really know what it was to really enjoy life until Christ came into my life. Because for the first time in my life, I realized serving God, glorifying God, is the best thing for our lives. Solomon in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11, wrote these words. Speaking about God, of course. Solomon said, He has made everything beautiful in His time. Also, He has put eternity in their hearts, except that no one can find out the work of God, the work that God does, from beginning to end. What an awesome God. And Solomon realized he has made everything beautiful in his time. But Solomon also realized that somehow and in some way, God has placed in every human heart eternity. And by the way, I still believe God's word is true. Every word of it. So as I read the scripture, I find out that in every human soul, there is a God-given awareness that there's something more than this passing world. If this is all there is, we are of all men most miserable. There has to be more. And with that awareness of eternity, there's also a hope, a hope, a deep hope that one day we will find fulfillment that cannot be afforded by this world. I believe if C.S. Lewis said, if nothing in this world satisfies us, satisfies us, we must be created for another world. And we are. And we are. What fell? I knocked a crossover. Oh my goodness. The phrase in their heart that Solomon used in Ecclesiastes 3.11. It's an expression that involves the mind, the soul, and the spirit of a person. So God has placed eternity in our inner being. Every fiber that we are. And what Solomon writes in Ecclesiastes 3.11 is simply another affirmation of what God has done for us. The idea that you and I as human beings, we act and we live and we operate in a different way than any other form of life. Now, I'm not going to stay and harp on it, but I know how many of you love your pets. Some people like Oreos. I won't mention who they are. I'm not talking about a cookie either, okay? But understand, we operate in a different realm. There's a longing in our heart for eternity that comes from God. We have 
a sense of eternity in our lives. God has placed it there, and, and somehow we have within us an innate knowledge that there's something more to life than what we can see and experience in the here and now. There has to be something more. We have a, a sense of eternity in our lives, a knowledge that God has something far greater for us if we'll simply come to Him. And so within us, there's a great longing to know God. From the very beginning of time, of the creation of man, God has created humanity to know Him. And there's something in us that wants to know the Creator. Now, by the way, you said, well, preacher, look around our world. And I know what you're talking about. But they're looking for satisfaction, but in all the wrong places. That can only be found in God. We're created that way. We long to know that God has broken through. He has broken through into our world. And I think we, we're, if we're honest, would admit, it's not enough to know that God is up there, out, out there somewhere. We want to know, God, have you come into our world? Do you understand, Lord, what I'm going through, where I am? We want to know that God has come down where we are. We want to know that He knows where we live. We want to know that He knows our name. By the way, He does. Amen. We have a longing for that. We want to know that He cares about us. And we want to know He's walked down the same path we've walked down. That He understands our feelings. And I think the bottom line is we long to know we are not alone in this universe. We are not alone. David had a longing, a deep longing for God. Psalm 42, verse 1. As a heart pants after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. It'd be hard to miss that word picture there, wouldn't it? We can see that happening. David had a deep longing for God. But what thrills my heart is that God invites us to come. Isaiah 55, verse 1. Oh, everyone that thirsts, let him come ye to the waters. He that hath no money, come ye buy and eat. Yea, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. I came to Jesus a beggar. I had nothing to offer. But he invited me to come. He invited me to come. Just come. The psalm was in Psalm 82, I'm sorry, 84 verse 2, cried out for the living God. My soul long ago, even fainted for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cried out for the living God. I mentioned Isaiah 7 a moment ago. We read it in our opening text tonight. 
700 years before Christ, during the reign of a king named Ahaz, Isaiah predicted a birth of one who will be God coming to dwell with men. Now you think about it for a moment. Let it, you know, we, I think sometimes we have become so conditioned. I want to tell you, from our standpoint, from a human viewpoint, that's an absurd prediction. Why would God want to come and live among us? Why would that ever be? But God through Isaiah prophesied there would be a virgin. And she would conceive. Folks, that had never happened before. And it's never happened since that time. But she would conceive. And she would give birth to a son. And Isaiah says, they will call his name Emmanuel. God with us. God with us. There's a longing in our hearts to be set free from our sins. There's a longing for victory over the greatest enemy we have, and that's the grave. There's a longing for our heavenly home. And there's a longing for Emmanuel. Every year at Christmas time, Jesse always opens up, O come, O come, Emmanuel. A longing in our hearts. That's Isaiah 7. 700 years later, in the Gospel of Matthew, we read of a time, a day, when Joseph realized that his fiancée was pregnant with a child. And the only thing Joseph knows for sure, that's not his baby. You know the story. Joseph was not vengeful or hateful or spiteful. He was a just man. And I can only imagine, and we're not told the details, but you know how he, had, he must have wrestled with this. What am I going to do? I mean, the truth of the matter, you can only hide that for so long, Amen. What am I going to do? I'll put her away in a private ceremony. I'll not disgrace her publicly. How many knows that God knew where Joseph was? He knew his name. And God sent an angel. And by the way, angels are messengers of God. That's their, that's their bidding to do. <laughs> and God sends this angel... To give Joseph some assurance. If there was every time he needed it, it was in. Amen. And God gave Joseph the assurance. Don't worry, Joseph. She's still a virgin. She hasn't been unfaithful to you. But you need to understand she is pregnant. She's going to have the baby. But that baby that she is carrying was conceived of the Holy Spirit. 
Now, I don't know. This is just my guess. I think God knew it would take an angel to convince Joseph of that. You know, don't send John the Baptist. Don't send Isaiah back. Send an angel. And so the angel tells Joseph, Mary's going to have a baby, have a son. And Joseph, I want you to name that baby Jesus. Which means God saves or Savior. Because the angel says he will save his people from their sins. Now let me interject here for a moment. Right away we're thinking, wait a minute. Isaiah said his name should be called Emmanuel. And that's true. But the fact of the matter, Emmanuel is a title. God with us. Jesus is his name. But notice verse 22 and 23. This angel, and this never dawned on me to the day. Angels know the Bible. They know the scripture. And the angel quotes Isaiah 7, 14. Look what he says. The angel said, now all this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord, by his prophet, saying, behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. What an amazing truth. God with us. And I didn't count them myself. I'm taking somebody else's word for it. There are at least 200 different titles in the Bible for Jesus Christ. But I don't think any of them is more significant than the title of Emmanuel. God with us. Because that is his ultimate identity. Let it sink in. God with us. Do you understand? God came down. John chapter 1 verse 14. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. Full of grace and truth. God came down. I think it was Chuck Swindoll I heard many years ago tell the story of a country boy. And it was probably a preacher story. I realize that. First time in town to the big city. He had never seen an elevator. And upon his return home, somebody asked him what he thought. He said, man, we went up, we pushed this button. And all of a sudden, the second floor came down. God pushed a button and heaven came down. God came down. God came down from heaven. He came in the form of a tiny baby boy. We call that the incarnation. It's a word that theologians use to indicate that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, took on human flesh. 
God became flesh. Now remember, in the early part of John, chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It's not till verse 14 we find out the Word is Jesus Christ. So remember, Jesus Christ has always existed. So 2,000 years ago, He became flesh. God with flesh. But here's what's interesting. When Christ became flesh, He didn't stop being God. Fully God. Fully man. Now, I threw that word out, incarnation. Another theological term is a hypostatic union. And that has a lot to do with the incarnation. And what the word hypostatic union is, it explains how in Christ, two natures, his divinity and humanity, are joined together. Somebody explain that for me. The God-man. Now, let me remind you, when Christ was born 2,000 years ago, he didn't become God. He already was. He became a man. But he didn't just become a man. He was still God. A fancy word, hypostatic union. So, when we think of the word incarnation, it means the act of becoming flesh. And by the way, that's from a Latin uh, version of John 1.14. And if you study the New Testament, and you don't have to study very deeply to find this out, there are a lot of evidence that Christ was human. He slept. On the road to Samaria, he stopped at the well. And I know he was there to speak to a woman about her soul, but he was thirsty. He was weary. He ate food. The Bible says when he prayed in the garden, he prayed so hard, sweat dropped off of him like great drops of blood. Now, some would say he sweat blood. I won't argue that. But again, he perspired. Perspired, not if I can get the right word. When they pierced his side, he bled. He also had times of joy, sorrow, anger, frustration. He referred to himself as the Son of Man. And what's interesting, even after he was resurrected, he still had a body. Now, it was certainly a resurrection body, but it was still recognized as a body. Ralph and Phyllis Ford are not able to come a lot on Sunday, but they they rarely miss Wednesday night. And... uh, they usually come early. We have a time of visitation in my office. We always enjoy that. Ralph is a pistol. Now, I thought I loved food. Ralph Ford lives to eat. And, you know, every Wednesday before they come, they've gone somewhere to eat. And he can't wait to tell them what he had. He told me one time, he said, you know, the doctor put me on a, on a diet. Um, I guess he's having trouble with his sugar getting out of balance. He said, the doctor told me I could only have one donut at a time. 
So he said, we drove out to Miller's. We got a donut. He said, it was that big. It was just one. <laughs> so he loves food. And I do too. And I, I, I just get, I enjoy our visit and our time together. But I want to say something about Jesus. He became flesh. But the purpose of the incarnation was not to taste food. The purpose of the incarnation was not to feel sorrow. God became flesh. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, became flesh that he might be our Savior. That he might be our Savior. A couple of things we need to know about that. First of all, number one, it was necessary that he be born under the law. Galatians 4, verse 4. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law. Now, we're not going to spend a lot of time here tonight on We did that this morning. But we know that Jesus Christ came to fulfill that law. And every human being, except for him, we have failed to fulfill God's law. But Jesus Christ came in the flesh. He came under the law. And he came to fulfill what we could not. He did it on my behalf. He did it on your behalf for the sins of the whole world. So number one, he had to be born on the law. Number two, it was necessary if our sins are going to be forgiven. He had to become flesh. Hebrews chapter 9, look at verse 22. And almost all things are by the law purged with blood. And without the shedding of blood is no remission of sin. I think we'll all agree. A blood sacrifice requires a body. Requires a body of flesh and blood. And that was God's plan for Christ when Jesus came into our world. God became flesh. Hebrews 10 verse 5. Therefore, when he, Christ, came into our world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. Let that mellow in your mind for a moment. One of the central teachings of the Old Testament is that God desires obedience. God wants obedience. God wants a right heart, and that's true in the Old Testament as well. God was never pleased with empty compliance. It never satisfied the demands of God. God was not pleased with the compliance of, a, of rules and regulations. And what's interesting, here in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 5... Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the writer of Hebrews takes what was written by the psalmist in Psalm 40, and he applies that, those words, to Jesus Christ. So don't miss this. God had to become flesh in order to offer his body. Christ came to offer his body. 
And Jesus said, you prepared a body for me, for himself. And so he offered his body on the cross for you and I. And this sacrifice, thank God, was completely accessible to God. He died in our place. So what does that remind us? What does that tell us? We now have a new and living way to come to God. And yes, those sacrifices were required in the Old Testament. But we have to understand, you don't please God by offering sacrifices. Never could. You can't please God from making your mind up, okay... I am going to abstain from sin. That doesn't please God. The only thing that pleases God is coming by faith to Jesus Christ as your Savior. That is pleasing to God. And then once you come to Him, you follow Him in loving obedience. How many know without the incarnation, Christ could not die? Without the incarnation, there was no need for the cross. No body, no death. And I want to tell you something, folks. God did an amazing, incredible work in sending His only begotten Son into our world. Providing you and I with a salvation we don't deserve. And I say praise the Lord for the moment in which the Word became flesh. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And because the Word became flesh, we can now be redeemed. And if you're a child of God, you are redeemed with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Because He was a lamb without blemish, a lamb without defect. The perfect lamb of God. But remember, the Word became flesh. Christ was both human and divine. He became flesh and he lived among us. So the God, God himself, the word who was God, we read that in the beginning, quoted it. He wrapped himself in human flesh. He became flesh. He descended from heaven. He came to earth. He wrapped himself in a frail body of a tiny Jewish baby in a, in a barn or a stable. In the town of Bethlehem, in the forgotten corner of Judea, God came to us in Christ. I'm real glad when we couldn't go to him, he came to us. He came to us. Now listen very carefully, because I don't want to confuse you here tonight. Man, we got two hours yet. Now hear me well. Jesus came from his side to our side. And he came without leaving his own side. He never stopped being God. He came from his side to our side without ever leaving his own side. What a tremendous, overwhelming thought that is. God became flesh. 
I read the other day, it's told that when John Wesley was dying in 1791, he roused from his sleep just long enough to open his eyes. And here's what he said. He said, the best of all is God is with us. <laughs> Amen. How true that is. God is with us. John Wesley said that. He closed his eyes and he died. God is with us. So we're focused tonight and next week at least. It's going to be on that word Emmanuel. God with us. I think there are three words in that phrase. And each one of us teaches something about what Jesus or who Jesus really is. First of all, God with us, a son. The first word is God. God took upon himself human flesh and blood. 1 Timothy 3, verse 16. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. And here it is. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up in the glory. What a tremendous doctrinal statement there. The mystery of godliness. And so Paul, writing to this young preacher, he affirms the humanity and the divinity of Jesus Christ. And Paul says, this reveals the very heart of the gospel, the mystery of godliness. So the secret of being godly, the secret of pleasing God by our lives, positive was one time hidden, but now it is revealed. That's what the word mystery means. And so to those who are godly, Christ is the mystery revealed. We know now how to please God. Colossians 1, verse 27. To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. Notice this, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Paul said this is a great mystery. This is something that's very, very profoundly significant. Something that's overwhelmingly important. <clears throat> something we just don't want to miss. And the bottom line is simply this, folks. We can never please God on our own. And that's why we must depend on the Lord Jesus Christ. And God became flesh and Christ came into our world. He lived a perfect life. And so he's a perfect example of how to live as God. How to please, live in a way to please God. And because Christ is God, now he gives us the power 
to do what is right. He gives us the ability to please God in how we live our lives. And so, yes, it is possible to live a godly life, but it's only possible through following the Lord Jesus Christ. And we can please God. Now, Paul says it's a mystery. I mean, how in the world? I mean, manifesting the flesh, justified in their spirit, seen of angels, preached among the Gentiles, received the glory. Now, look at those phrases there. Every one of those are a mystery. They're a mystery beyond our comprehension, and yet all of that's available for us. God in the flesh. Emmanuel. Available for us to believe. What a God. What a Savior. So we accept this truth. Now, by the way, how many know God never asked you to understand everything? Didn't ask you to explain it. Just accept it. Accept it as it's been revealed to us. But here's what I want you to realize. The result of our belief is life-changing. It will change our life. It has changed our life. And I'll remind you, yes, God became flesh. But whatever we might think or say, understand this. Jesus Christ is more than just a mere man. Amen. He is God in the flesh. Made a mistake about it. He was truly human. But his ultimate identity went far beyond humanity. He was God come down to earth in the form of a baby born of a virgin. And by the way, the virgin birth is certainly one of the cardinal doctrines of Christianity. God was born in human form from the womb of a virgin. Now, there are many in the world who say, that can't be so. But how many know it can be so? It is so. God became flesh. And if we can at least begin to wrap our mind around that, to wrap our mind around the fact that that baby that was born to Mary 2,000 years ago, thereabouts, was in fact God in the flesh. If we can understand that, then we can understand how he was able to walk on water. He wasn't just a man, he was God. We can understand that, we can better understand how he was able to heal the sick. He's God in the flesh. We can better understand how he could raise the dead. And once we understand that Jesus is God in the flesh, all of a sudden the resurrection makes more sense. He wasn't just a man. He was God in the flesh. And so I say again, the virgin birth of Jesus Christ is one of the fundamental truths to our faith, to the Christian faith. It is central, it is essential, and it is non-negotiable. It is absolutely Non-negotiable. This is not a secondary issue. 
that we are allowed to have our opinion about. Now, you can have your opinion about it. But if you don't agree that he was virgin born, you're wrong. And this is one truth, one of the cardinal truths, that goes and shows what it means to be a child of God. At the end of the day, there are only two people groups. It has nothing to do with the color of your skin or the country you're from, your ethnicity. It has everything to do where you stand with God. You're either saved or you're what? You're lost. Two groups. The Bible's clear. A person is either going to heaven or they're going to hell. Because the Bible says there are only two gates. Matthew 7, verse 13 and 14. Enter ye in at the straight gate. For wide is the gate, broad is the way. That leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, narrow is the way, which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. How many know God loves you? How many know that in spite of what some people might tell you, God allows you to make a choice? He invites us to choose life, but he won't force it on us. And so the Bible is clear about this. We are presented, people are presented with two ways. And those two ways are represented by two gates. One gate is narrow. One gate is wide. One gate is open to the road of destruction. The other gate leads to eternal life. One way is easy. One way not so easy. And the Bible says that those who enter in Through the narrow gate, you're going to heaven. I'm glad you went to the narrow gate. Those who enter in by the wide gate are going to hell. And so the the ultimate reality is this. If you want to go to heaven, and I do and you do, you've got to enter into the narrow gate and you've got to travel the narrow road. So the question is, what do I have to believe? What does the person have to believe if we are going to be on the right road? And certainly there are several answers to that question. But I think it boils down to one for sure. Jesus Christ is God in flesh. If he's not, nothing else matters. He was a man. His incarnation gives us a basis for being right with God. Paul said he made himself nothing. Jesus did. He took on the very nature, the very form of a servant. He was made in human likeness. He appeared as a man. And he humbled himself even to the death 
on the cross. So if we're going to be on the right road, it begins with believing that that firstborn baby of Mary was the very Son of God in flesh. Let's stand together. What a doctrine. What a thought. (laughs) Now, I remember years ago when my sister and brother were in Bible college. Uh, They were taking a class in Pontiac, or at least he was. I'm not sure if she was in that same class or not. But anyway, he said they, uh, of course, it's kind of dating it, if you will. He said, the professor said, theology is like riding a train. You need to know when to get on. And you need to know when to get off. And I'm glad for theology. But I'm so glad for the practical side. God is with us tonight, folks. And he will never leave us or forsake us. And I'm glad tonight to know him as my Savior. I'm glad that I'm not left alone in this world. And I have a friend in Jesus. And so do you. If anyone is watching online, you've never received Christ. I know, because I've been where you are, there's an emptiness in your life. But I want you to know, only Jesus, only Jesus can fulfill it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for becoming flesh and not leaving us alone. I pray, Lord, for all of those who are experiencing loneliness right now. Lord, draw them near to your heart. Remind them, God, that you never leave and you never forsake us. You're always with us because God became flesh. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' precious name and all God's